how are you doing with the whole not touching your face thing? <laughs> Terrible. Right? Um, and I, I'm debating if I just get rid of my beard because I am the, the type of guy who strokes his beard. And, like, I don't even know how it became this, like, unconscious act of just sitting somewhere and touching my beard. Or I'm thinking and I'm touching my beard. So maybe if I just get rid of it, that'll help. Uh, you know what? <laughs> if, I don't know. If you're attached to your beard in any way, shape, or form, I would say do not shave it because odds are you're going to do that and then you're yep. still going to be touching your face. I, like it's, it's something I have never thought before of how often I do it, either with like scratching my eyes or scratching my forehead or scratching my nose. And it, it's like now it's turned into this, this thing. That, you know, you've told yeah. me I can't do it, so now I really want to do it. It's like when they say, "Don't think of an elephant." You're exactly. gonna think of an elephant. Elephants, exactly. You know, for, forget about the people dying, and forget about like all the travel. Forget about all the industries that are crippled because of this thing. It's the touching of the face. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 243 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. You know, my guest and I joke about this health crisis that has taken over. Over the world but really it's no joking matter just yesterday as as he mentioned south by southwest was canceled a big celebration of film and music already the Cannes international film festival is worried about whether or not they will be able to carry out their plans for 2020 coachella same situation let's face it folks a lot of people who care about a lot of the same things are going to have a very hard time being in one place for a while and it's going to affect a lot of the things that bring us joy sports culture social scenes we might all have to swallow a very bitter pill for a bit and keep to ourselves. And that might include movies. Perhaps that means a lot of our connection and enjoyment of film will also need to be virtual for a while. Perhaps we'll need to stock with the titles we can access from home. And perhaps we'll need to interact and converse with each other virtually. To that end, I offer up this space. I hope that while we can stay safe, and sacrifice some activities that I can remain a friendly voice in your ear and allow a moment or two of cultural enjoyment in your day. Perhaps. A perhaps cannot be achieved alone. Perhaps I need a guest, and today I have a good one, so you all are in luck. He is the head cheese at Visions and Voices, a site dedicated to art, culture, and mental health. Please welcome from Illinois, Jim Laskowski to the show. How are you, man? Oh man, I'm doing great. And yeah, you are absolutely a friendly voice that I look forward to. And this is a, always a delightful movie podcast that I listen to regularly and enjoy. So it, it's great to be back. And honestly, if this if we do become hermits for a good long stretch, maybe this will give us the opportunity to podcast more. Maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> it's it's one of those things. I'm like, I, I feel like there will be silver linings here. I, I know it's going to be it's going to be weird yeah. and it's going to it's going to get harder before it gets easier. But I'm, I'm really hopeful that, that we'll find a way through this whole thing. And man, your kitten is really, really cute. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My my cat has a lot to say about Pixar movies because uh, we've watched them. Well, well, we'll have to include a picture of your cat in the show. What's your cat's name? Lucy. Lucy. We'll have to include a picture of Lucy in the show notes. On episode yeah. 243, we will be discussing Onward. We'll turn the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Jim. This is Know Your Enemy. Mr. 
Mr. Laskowski first appeared on episode 140, where we discussed Inside Out. We learned on that episode that the first film he'd ever seen in a theater was the double feature of E.T. the Extraterrestrial, followed by Follow That Bird. The last film he'd seen at the time was Megalhorn. The worst film he'd ever seen is something called The Doom Generation. The unseen classic or essential is Dr. Zhivago. The film he wished he made is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Then we did round two on episode 169, where we talked about Martin Scorsese's Silence. We learned the film he digs that nobody else does, a rom-com called How Do You Know? We learned the film that everybody else digs that he doesn't is La La Land. The last movie to make him cry is A Monster Calls. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by David Cross, and the film he was watching next was something called Requiem. Time for round three. Jim, sir. What is the film? Woohoo! And in, interpret this question any way you want. But what was the film that made your love of cinema turn a corner? Well, it's funny that this question comes up um, because it's the 30th anniversary hmm. of a film that I'm currently writing about, and I believe you have as well. And it's one that I think people who know me know how much I love it, and that would be Alan Moyle's Pump Up the Volume. You know, I've suffered depression, and at a very young age, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what I was feeling. Like, it was just like, you know, gloom and doom, and kind of just like, oh man, I am not looking forward to junior high school or high school. I'm just, you know, kind of a, kind of a downer a little bit. And then suddenly, I go to this movie that you know, has kind of a, admittedly not the best title, hmm. uh, especially once you see the movie. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that that can work, but they probably could have come up with something a little bit better, at least to draw more attention. But any teenager my age at the time who saw this teen angst drama called Pump Up the Volume, I think it had some sort of lasting effect on them. It felt like therapy. It was the, That's kind of like the first movie I remember having a strong emotional response to because this character was saying what I was feeling. And, you know, before then, uh, you know, all movies to me were just kind of like a, a reason to escape the world and to, you know, just go see a, something to entertain me for a couple hours. But then this was like, oh, movies can actually change your life or speak to you in a way that makes you feel less alone. So I connected on such a deeper emotional level, and I, I feel like that's kind of when movies stepped up a little bit more for me in my young mind. And that's probably why I still turn to them to this day, just, you know, for comfort. How old were you when you saw it for the first time? Do you remember? I was 12. Oh, wow. And, you know, like a lot of – that is more of a 16 to, you know, 19-year-old's movie. But at the same time, like I started feeling a lot of – deep feelings and certainly there were you know things going on at home but more or less it was just like the the fear and the tension growing in with me within me because i didn't think i was going to fit in or i didn't like have a you know a set social click you know i felt like i'm just going to enter this whole world this jungle with with junior high school and i just didn't feel like i was going to connect with anybody but then i meet you know, Hard Harry, uh, played by Christian Slater in Pump Up the Volume. I'm like, oh, you know what? Somebody else gets it. Somebody else is actually saying all these difficult emotions are actually normal, more or less. <laughs> you know? So if it, it was the first experience uh, outside of music that I can recall an art form speaking to me and making me feel like uh, less of an alien in the world. 
It's interesting that you choose that one because a lot of films from that era of time of 30 years ago, especially um, and 40 years ago, like, you know, films from the 80s and early 90s, there some of them aren't aging all that well. Um, Correct. You know, you know, we're we're noticing a lot of things like really bad uh, casual racism and cultural appropriation. We're noticing some, you know, some some toxic masculinity that was going on in some of those movies that we always just thought was really sweet and romantic and noble, which in fact is really not. But in the middle of all that, you've got this film that's, um, I would actually say, underexposed now. It's a film that has kind of now dipped down below the water level and a lot of people have either forgotten about it or never heard about it in the first place. And it's an incredible film that speaks to what is still, what was something that a lot of people in 1990 weren't talking about. And now is something that a lot of people are talking about, but don't all even understand that they're feeling it. Um, And it's incredible because now we've reached a point where so many people have the avenue available to them that Harry has to steal in in that, yeah. in that film, right? Like the the movie is about a kid who pirate radios a signal on on probably on an AM broadband, if I'm remembering correct. Um, now anybody can, along with the fact that anybody can write and publish their thoughts for the world, whether or not they want to put their name to it or not. You know, we have that technology now kind of getting back to what I was saying in the introduction. But along with that, we also have the ability to speak and publish our spoken thoughts the way we didn't when that movie was there. And what do we do with it? You know, like, do we just turn on our webcam and, you know, talk about what happened last night in Game of Thrones, or do we use it as an avenue to reach out to one another and say, you know what, I know what you're feeling because I'm feeling it too, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be afraid of it. It's okay if it makes you feel mixed up, but it's, it's, it's nothing to really be afraid of because you're not the only one. And that was really what was at the core of that teen movie that you're right, had a terrible title (laughs) considering what it's actually about. Um, was not a huge hit. I mean, it made decent bank, but it's 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 a movie that I I, I kind of feel like needs to be dusted off. Um, well, I'm working on it um, because it's not readily available for streaming. It's not available on Blu-ray at this point. No. Uh, so I've I've been talking to the director, and I'm like, what can we do? Because this movie deserves a second life, and people need to see it. I mean, not just I'm I'm, I'm guessing like. You know, 16-year-olds that watch it today may look at it almost as, you know, very dated based on the technology and even some of the things they talk about. I don't know. But I still think it's relevant. I still think, like, the feelings that are felt in that movie and the things that are said – I mean, you could you could relate to that at any age if, if you're dealing with depression or anxiety, in my opinion. I, I totally agree. And just to kind of put a point on it, the, when you mentioned that I wrote about it on, on my site, um, and I'll include a link to this in the show notes. Uh, years ago, I did a series called Falling for the First Time where I pulled 
uh, 80s and 90s pop culture classics and got people who hadn't seen them to watch them and to find out if they held up because I was under the impression that there was a lot of films that you know Generation X and Millennials adore which are really aging very poorly uh, in a lot of ways and that was one that we included in the series my friend Andrew Robinson watched it and we we wrote about it so um, I'll include a link to that in the show notes but uh, yeah good call man I can I can totally see why that would make your love of film turn a corner uh, move right along Jim Laskowski what was your first date movie wow yeah this brings me back because my my first date was in 1991 when I was 13 at the town theater in the middle of nowhere Indiana where (laughs) I grew up and it was this little mom and pop one screen theater literally run by a husband and wife you know and they 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 would make the popcorn they would you know tear the tickets uh I'm, I'm pretty sure they had their own projectionist but still they were you know that, that that was the reason to visit that town really was because of this theater because um, it was just so quaint and you can get in for five bucks or even less maybe and I took this gal named Michelle who um, you know I, I, I taught, had you know knew through friends of a friend kind of a situation and I didn't know too much about her but I, I know she was an avid reader and I just said hey there's this movie playing I don't know a whole lot about it but it's directed because I was a nerd back then, it was directed by the same guy who directed the adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. And I know you're, that's one of your favorite books. So maybe we'll like this movie. It's a movie called The Man in the Moon. And oh, that's uh, Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so it's very much in the vein of something like My Girl. And yes, it does star, I believe, a 13-year-old Reese Witherspoon at the time as this rather precocious, you know, young teen that develops a crush on the farm boy, pretty much lives next door or at least, you know, across the field or something. And it, it turns into a bit of a, of, a, of a love triangle since her 16-year-old older sister, who is more age-appropriate for, for the boy next door, also develops feelings for him. So it's this really sweet-natured, coming-of-age romantic film. You know, there's a first kiss moment. It's, you know, it's really sweet and innocent for the most part. And obviously, Reese Witherspoon made a huge impression. But then, I'm not going to give it away, no spoilers, but something happens in the last act of this movie that nobody in the audience, including my date, uh, was prepared for. So it was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had to... More or less use some napkins to, uh, you know, uh, it was just a surprise because I didn't think it was going to go dark, more or less. <laughs> that, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's such a sweet story top to bottom. Like, you know, you, you go out to this. It, that's, that's like an idyllic uh, uh, Norman Rockwell first date portrait. Pretty much. It felt that way. <laughs> I, like, and then all of a sudden we're like. You know, some got a you know slap in the face of reality or tragedy, more yeah. or less. With yeah. the, with the, and so uh, now we're walking out in tears, but certainly um, we, we we enjoyed the film, you That's know, good. and we we talked about it a lot. And I I remember saying, you know, that that Reese Witherspoon, I had never seen her in anything before, but uh, I hope she has a, a a long career ahead of her. That's so sweet. My God. Um, All right. I I don't want to dig too far into that because that's just a perfect story as it is. Uh, Let's move on. What, Mr. Laskowski, is your sick day movie? Well, it's definitely a movie I've watched over and over and over again. Not that I'm like sick every day or something, but it's something I watch anytime 
like I just need an immune booster, something that's going to make me feel really good, really joyful. And it's a surprising one. But at the same time, I believe former guest Kurt Halfyard would agree with this pick. And that would be the great Midnight Run with ah. uh, Robert, with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. And arguably, like, the greatest buddy cop mismatched identity comedy. I've And it's so endlessly quotable. And there's all these, like, side characters popping up, like, you know, Philip Baker Hall and Dennis Farina. Just, like... A lot of people show up in this movie that you're going to go, oh, I had no idea that that person was in this. Especially once you become more of a cinephile, you'll go, oh, that's so cool that this person is in it. It's one of those movies. And it just it like the the friendship that develops in this between Grodin and De Niro is so sincere and so well acted that like by the end, I'm pretty moved by this movie. And it's mostly just, you know, a, a, an action comedy from the director of Beverly Hills Cop. But I just feel like the, the it, I, I get a real warmth from this movie in addition to laughing and just feeling good and enjoying the heck out of uh, Joey Pants mm. as the uh, bail bondsman owner. Uh, it's just it, – you know, it's almost like an Elmore Leonard novel come to life before I even knew who Elmore Leonard was at the right, time. Right, right. It's, it's funny. I think my version of that um, – I, I don't think I've ever actually answered this question on my own show. Um, but I think my version of Midnight Run that I watch when I just want to chill and zone out and, and feel better and, you know, whether it's, you know, I can't sleep and I want to try to, like, nod myself off or I'm not feeling good and I want to distract myself. I think my version of that is – out of sight from 98. Yeah, in that's a good one. But in very much the same way, right? Like you've got kind of the buddy dynamic between uh, George Clooney and um, Ving Rhames. You've got the, you know, you, you've got all these side characters, including Dennis Farina uh, that, that, that do their great thing. You've got this really hot, um, um, you know, will they, won't they at the middle of it with Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. And, and it's, it's, it's all kind of cut from that same cloth, right? Yeah. Oh. oh, absolutely. And there's, there's just – yeah, there's a comfort – it's the same with Jackie Brown to some degree where you, you look forward to revisiting these characters because they're so fully developed and memorable. It's like, it's like you're hanging out with buddies. Yeah, that's, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Um, very good call. I like that answer. Uh, moving on. Sir, what is a film that for any rhyme or reason left you speechless? Well, I had to check and see – um, you know, like what's the last movie that did this to me? And I had to check and see which one came out more recently. It was either going to be Darren Aronofsky's mother or <laughs> what ultimately became my pick from 2017. And that would be Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, graceful and subversive little romance called Phantom Thread. Ah, um, okay. There are two moments Specifically, uh, the opening when all the dressmakers are walking down the stairs and we hear the score crescendo that, I, again, I felt such joy and awe that I just remember going, this is why I'm, I love movies. I rarely experience like this kind of high, and I think very few filmmakers know how to tap into exactly that you know, overall feeling of Everything is working. The score, the acting, the cinematography, the story. And then finally, like the mushroom omelet scene uh, towards the end of this literally had me on kind of the edge of my seat because it's, it's pretty quiet for, for a good long stretch as she's preparing this meal for him. 
And then once Daniel Day-Lewis finally speaks and says something to her, I was my like I, my mouth was open. I was just kind of like, oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> this movie, so, I mean, but it's so twisted. Yeah. When you know what's going on between this couple, it is really twisted, and you can tell the audience around me was kind of like laughing uncomfortably or just feeling weird and awkward about what. Wait a minute, what? But for me, like that's the joy of. Paul Thomas Anderson movies. It's always that moment of like, oh, you went there? Really? Okay. I'm down. <laughs> that's that's a movie for me that is handsome with a capital H. That 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 mm-hmm. is the kind of film that it is it's it's like a a, a love letter to the craft of cinema like the way it yeah. looks the way it sounds the way it's acted the way it's written just every single element that makes film the way it's edited every single element that makes film this film is doing like at, at the at the top level and it's not showy um you know even though like there are scenes in it that are meant to be really stunning and and like you say like just suck the air right out of the room um but it's mm-hmm. it, it's not you know it's it's not a david lean picture you know like we didn't go out into the desert for this son of a bitch we, you know right. we're, we're, we're making dresses but still um it's it's so goddamn gorgeous and messed up in a lot of ways like it's you know like there, there's a lot of moments in that film where you're looking at the various dynamics of of everything from from woodcock himself to to um his sister to to the woman who's the new love of his life and you're thinking this is this is a these people need to talk to somebody because this is not good this is not healthy at all for anyone no nope. and, and yet it's it's just so damned handsome that you can't look away yeah, and I, I just I'm also I'm really hoping to see more from this actress Vicky Kreps, yes. who I'd never seen in anything before. I'm like, it's been three years. I don't know if I'm, she's popped up anytime recently, and I'm just like, she she kind of blew me away in that movie. And it's you know, Paul Thomas Anderson obviously loves movies, but man, does he love acting and actors? And you can tell, and he said that as much. You know, that's. Every movie he does, there's always something, a performance or something really memorable about it. But I just remember going at the end of that movie. That's that's just as good as it gets. And it left my jaw on the floor with how impeccable it felt. Last but not least for now, uh, Mr. Laskowski, we don't want you to go anytime soon. But when you got to go, what is a <laughs> film quote that you would like to be your epitaph? Well, I got to make sure not to touch my face. Yes. Um, so... So going back to the Directors Club episode you appeared on, uh, it's there's there's a few from Shel Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind that I wouldn't mind seeing. And there's so many great quotes from so many great movies, and this one is very simple. And walking past my tombstone, you wouldn't immediately go, "Oh, I know what movie that's from," but. It's the moment when he's on the ice and it ends with him just saying, I'm just exactly where I want to be. And I, I, I mean, I know some people have gone back to this movie and don't appreciate it as much, but I'm completely the opposite where it's something like her, where I, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it. And there's just something truly transcendent about what it has to say about relationships and memory and how we idealize the person we're in love with. But, um, 
you know, certainly there's the final speech in the hallway that moves me, uh, you know, but I always think of that scene where he's just lying there with her and saying, I could die right here. I'm just happy. I'm just exactly where I want to be, you know, and that's, that's, that's a good way to just live life. And, you know, you don't have to be rich or married or have everything you could possibly want in the world. You can just be content with how things are. Thus, I'm just exactly where I want to be. And I'm likely going to feel that way once I leave this planet. <laughs> That's a lovely thought, man. And I, I, I do think that, again, kind of like what we were saying with um, Pump Up the Volume, that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a film that is aging incredibly well actually and so, yeah. um and, and continues to have very very relevant ideas as we move along um and people should revisit it but um yeah you know even though in in a lot of ways i'm i'm a little bit sad that gondry's career didn't go where i wanted it to go uh you know 15 years later um i will always be happy for that movie and and always cherish it and there's a lot of things that are that are said within that movie that I think could could serve as a really good epitaph. But I, I do like that idea that I um, I'm, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I, I mean, you know, like one would hope that you could say that several times in life. Yeah. Uh, you know, not just not just at the end. Um, so that's a, that's a very good one. I, I appreciate that that thought very very well. Um, we will learn more about Jim when he comes back for a fourth time around. Uh, it will not take three years this time. Uh, I am trying to get people back more often. Um, but we have a movie to talk about. Um, we are going to talk about the new Pixar film right after this. Come on back. It's time for the new slang. The new slang this episode is Onward right after this. Onward is written by Dan Scanlon. It's written by Scanlon along with uh, Jason Headley and Keith Bunnan. It stars the voice talents of Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer. It's about a world where magic once existed but now does not. There's mythical creatures like unicorns and centaurs, but they all, you know, play video games and do workouts and go to school and go to jobs. The magic of the magical world uh, of New Mushroomton has dissolved. However, in the middle of it all, we have a family. We have uh, Ian Lightfoot, along with uh, his brother Barley. Um, Ian is the younger, Barley is the older, and the action begins on Ian's 16th birthday. We discover that um, his, uh, his father, who deceased when he was a child, has left him a gift. He has, le we, he has left him a wizard staff and given him a spell that will allow him and his brother to bring this deceased father back for just one day. Something goes awry, as tends to happen in this kind of movie, and they were only able to bring back their father's legs. And they now need to get what they need to get in a row, otherwise the sun will set and the legs will disappear without the top half of them ever showing up. Thus, they go on a quest to get what they need to continue the spell and move onward. This coming autumn will mark 25 years since Pixar released their very first feature film. For a while, for a long while, they seemed unbeatable. It was the 27 Yankees, the 1992 Dream Team, and Pixar. Seriously, folks, look at that run of films they released from 1995 to 2010 and just bask, bask in a stretch of 15 years of storytelling where the weakest link is Cars, a film, by the way, I still think is pretty damn decent. 
Now, though, times are a little different. Pixar has leaned a lot harder on sequels and the nostalgia that comes with sequels. They've also leaned on films that simmer at a slightly lower temperature, like Good Dinosaur and Brave. Into the state of this walks onward, leading one to wonder where Pixar is at a studio and where this film factors within that. So, pop quiz, Hotshot. Where does Pixar stand as a brand for you? And what facet of their brand does Onward represent? Well, I don't think it is Pixar's fault that in the past, and as you've mentioned, they've really raised the bar so incredibly high uh, with movies like Up, WALL-E, Inside Out, uh, the Toy Story franchise, of course, and even to some extent Coco, which kind of just worked on me in in a very surprising way. And yet they they have hit some lows with some sequels, um, you know, and I wasn't too crazy about The Good Dinosaur. Yet, you know, at the same time, I got to say that um, Onward – you know, it's just kind of a middle of the road, but pleasant journey film. And I would, I would consider it to be just a really nice diversion that doesn't go super deep, but because it has its heart in the right place, you kind of can't help but warm up to it. And you kind of expect that when you walk into a Pixar film, you kind of expect, okay, what's going to work on me <laughs> this time? Uh, Cause they usually do. And I think that's kind of what I look forward to. I mean, I don't necessarily always look for originality or like draw chopping visuals but is there is there a warmth is there a humanity is there something here that's going to make a lasting impression um and with onward it's 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 definitely not something that i'm going to revisit time and time again but for the for the you know majority of the running time i felt i felt good about spending time with these characters. I felt good about where they're going and was looking forward to seeing how the journey plays out. Uh, I'm not a big fantasy guy. I'm just, I, you know, I, I, I keep wanting to be, <laughs> I keep wanting to be one of those people that's just like, Oh my God, I want to consume everything that Tolkien has done or something. Uh, and, but this, like, I, I, I will say like the way it starts out, I was kind of going, Ooh, you know, it's going to maybe touch upon like how technology, has destroyed our imagination and our sense of wonder. So maybe they are really going to get kind of deep and, and, and sociological and have some interesting commentary. But really, that's kind of only in the beginning. And that's a theme that I, I think could, you know, be a little bit more resonant uh, with all with all age demographics, I you know, because everybody's going through that experience of like, well, I'm just going to be on my phone and, you know, why read a book, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I don't think the film has the courage to kind of go that route, you know, to challenge us or, you know, fill us with wonder from beginning to end. It's just a nice, brightly colored road trip uh, with with a good heart and an ultimate satisfying conclusion that, you know, again, is not reaching the heights of upper tier Pixar for me anyway. I, I just had a, a a pretty good time overall, and honestly, I walked into this just wanting that, and I got it. Okay, there there is a lot to unpack there, so <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll sorry. try we'll try to take this a little bit at a time. So the first thing I would say is that Pixar is a brand. Um, I I think part of it comes with 
just time and where the people who run Pixar are in their lives. As I was saying, that first 15 year stretch is incredible. If you look, no pun intended. If you look <laughs> at the second 10 years, though, it's almost exclusively stories about family. It's movies like this and Coco and Brave uh, and, and, and I mean, even like when it, when it all begins with, with Toy Story three, uh, you got another Incredibles movie in there. It's, it's family, 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 family. And don't get me wrong. I think, uh, Inside Out is in that, is in that second year, that, that second 10 as well. And sure. don't get me wrong. I think that stories about families are important. Um, especially as family dynamics change, especially as we become uh, a society that wants to communicate better with our families. I, I think it's an important thing to tell. However, it's not the only type of story to tell, but it seems to be the one that Pixar wants to tell the most right now. And I don't know, as I said, I think that says a lot about the people at the top of Pixar and the kind of stories that they are greenlighting, because as much as I enjoy, you know, I, I did enjoy Onward and as much as I love stories like Coco, um, you know, they're they're not stories dedicated to the joy of cooking they're not stories that are dedicated to you know uh, uh preserving this planet lest we mess it up um and those were the kind of stories that they were telling early on so it's it's really strange that they found themselves in this place and just to kind of take that one little step further this was a year where i actually watched uh, all of the animated films that were up for the oscar and it was it was actually kind of a wide net this year when you had stuff like um, you know, the missing link and you had stuff like, like Klaus or Claus. Or I lost my body. I lost my, Oh my God, I lost my body. Um, yeah. these movies were just double barrel shots straight to the chest and, and mm -hmm. were gorgeous and were affecting and were just wondrous. And, you know, Pixar comes along and does their Pixar thing, which is fine. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. They're still executing at the top level, but they're just, like I say, they're doing their Pixar thing every time, whereas other studios are telling more complex stories that even Pixar themselves are capable of telling. But they're just they're telling the same thing over and over. Um, I yeah, I, like, like you, I really enjoyed um, Onward. Um, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you. Um, I know we were probably both deeply affected by the ending of this, which we will eventually get to oh, yeah. in a spoiler section, but I don't want to talk about that just yet. Um, but I mean, you bring, you bring up possibly the key point of the movie, which is the world building in this film. It feels incomplete, you know, um, like you say, the whole idea that, this was a society that was once driven by magic where there were things like unicorns and centaurs and spells and, you know, all kinds of just whatever you could imagine was there. And then they got technology and now they don't need the magic. Um, right. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lovely little metaphor, um, which is probably apt in the terms of what are we sacrificing in the name of convenience and, and technology, but they drop it real quick the the world building in this is not the same as even some of the other pixar movies that we've seen um they you know they, they there's not a whole lot of um mysticism to it there's not a whole lot of clever wordplay around it we, we you know we, we get that tavern 
uh, about the uh, the Manticore at one point that with the kind of plays with it in a kitschy little like uh, Planet Hollywood hard rock cafe, which I know aren't really a thing anymore. So ask your parents, kids. Um in in that kind of way, the Manticore's bar, the the, the the whatever uh, the Manticore Tavern, it sort of plays with it a little bit, but it never takes it to the degree that something like Monsters Inc. took the the Monster World, you know. Right. So when 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 we mention how Pixar is now competing against themselves, this is the you know this is what happens is we go into this movie looking for references and creations that have to do with uh centaurs and pixies and and gnomes and trolls and the differences between gnomes and trolls and for the large portion of it it's just dropped ian and barley they could very easily be brothers who are bears they could be brothers who are fish they could be brothers who are people the fact that they are brothers who are what are they 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 goblins or i i mean we don't even explore that clearly defined no um he's sorry they're elves the fact that you okay. know the fact that they're brothers who happen to be elves we never even really dig into well what sucks about being an elf you know <laughs> i'd like to see that in this movie and and they never really go into that yeah it, I, I will admit you know the the more i think about it and the more that you brought it up that they've sort of fell into this formula you know, within the past, yeah, I guess decade almost. And it's also funny too, that (laughs) the years that they release two movies, it's kind of funny how one is clearly like the A level and one is kind of like more the B level. And I have a feeling that this is the B level and the trailer for soul has got me really excited, (laughs) you know? And I think that maybe that one will be the more daring audacious existential you know thought-provoking one uh you know similar to the year that inside out and the good dinosaur came out where it's like oh the good dinosaur is fine but inside out holy crap (laughs) you know so i i again yeah like you said they are competing with each other yes and you know it and and that's the thing is that all like onward is Onward is cute. Onward is sweet. Onward is perfectly pleasant. It's it's not. Neither one of us would say that this is a bad film. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's just there's far too much craft going on, um, and and it manages to to stick some pretty neat emotional beats to to be possibly qualified as a bad film. But at the same time, it's not a great film. And when you can amass the kind of talent, it, it like even just listen, even just on a visual level, this movie is not does not have the visual splendor that something like Coco does. Like Coco, when yeah. you take us to that that world, when you take us to that afterlife world, it is jaw-dropping. It is deeply affecting the kind of world that they have created that similar to the world in Onward does not physically exist. You know, they are that they're making that up out of their heads and out of folklore you know similar to onward in the way that they're making it up for folklore of of these like D type legends that you would you know that you would play where there are things like dragons and manticores and trolls um but they never really get crazy in this medium where there are no rules yeah it's not really a feast for thine eyes it's just kind of <laughs> you, just you've been of, waiting for that one of course uh it's, it's just kind of yeah, it's there, and it's never like ugly, or it's never anything un- 
pleasant. It's just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of what I would expect. But that's the thing about Pixar is that in the past they've always, you know, challenged my expectations or at least uh, gave me something new that I hadn't seen before or had a fully realized world like the one in Coco in the afterlife or certainly the inside of the mind and inside out. And there's just like, I don't know. And even here, a lot of the humor didn't quite land for me. Like the little, I don't know, the fairy pixie biker things. I was just kind of like, eh, it's, eh, it's not working for me. <laughs> you know, and mom's new boyfriend is just, eh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's because most of these little, most of these little gags, they, 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 hang on a little too long yeah. to be, you know, just dropped, but they don't hang on long enough to be a thing. Like, you know, again, like this episode is kind of turning into Pixar's greatest hits, but please people indulge me. You know, you don't get anything in this film like the seagulls in Finding Nemo, Mm-mm. you know, right. which are just in and out, have one thing to do. And, but, but, but they are very memorable about the way they do it. The Pixies kind of feel like they want that. That's what they want them to be, but the Pixies aren't, nearly memorable enough and don't have enough to do um it's you know at, at the center of this we do have holland and pratt playing very well off each other like them as a as a team listening to and watching um ian and barley play off each other and you know in, in the way that brothers will in the way that brothers will kind of like i've got an idea oh that's never gonna work no trust me you never trust me you know <laughs> like that dynamic between these two actors is really well done and i would like to see those characters in another movie where they get to flesh out uh, a few things i i don't want to encourage pixar to make more sequels because i think that's what they're doing a little bit too much but those two characters have a lot going on, um, especially in the way that, you know, they, they, they come they They're they're the kind of brothers where they're related by blood, but they don't have a whole boatload in common. You know, like if they if they didn't share a name, you would be like, why are these two people hanging out? Yeah, they have kind of contrasting personalities. And sometimes that can be annoying because they're annoyed with each other. Yeah. So you you in turn wind up annoyed. Yeah. But uh, that's not the case here. I mean, I I was a little worried initially because I'm like, if the brother is all is just going to constantly only talk in like this medieval speak yeah. or whatever, then I'm I'm checking out. Hmm. Uh, that's just going to drive me bonkers. But luckily, that kind of goes away once the adventure kicks into gear. And uh, I I love his attachment to uh, you know Guinevere his his uh, his van. And I just I like the portrayal of brotherhood and, you know, the, the, the dynamic that they share and how it evolves over time is is something that I think carries the film as opposed to like all the other side characters who just show up uh, for like, you know, just just to advance the story, but don't really add a whole lot to it outside of you know, it's just like they're affecting what's happening. And for me, it's mostly just about the brothers and to some extent, the mom who's just, again, kind of an afterthought, but also you have a really joyful uh, uh, vocal performance from from Octavia Spencer, who I think was 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 having a blast with his character. Yeah, I mean, like there, you know, there's another thing. Like, I would I would love to see an entire film about the Manticore because she's yeah. she's got a lot going on. Um, but you know the this the thing about this film that throws me now that I think about it is that now and then it it shows you what it could have been. And, mm. you know, and I'm thinking, for instance, there's a moment midway through where we 
are put into a very clever situation where Ian has to tell the truth. And Ian is directly, well, I mean, he's actually, he's directly yet indirectly asked what he thinks of his brother and whether or not he thinks his brother is a screw up. And it, it's, it's a moment that kind of sucks the oxygen out of the room. Like we were talking before, that was a moment that left me speechless where the device that they use to get there and how they have to put him into that moment is really something deeply affecting and you're like oh shit you know you you can't believe that these two brothers who are in this you know really urgent and you know very well very mystical situation have to have this moment to clear the air otherwise otherwise the whole thing is just kerfuffled um and it has to do with what does the younger one think of the older that's one of those moments where if that had been given more attention or even just a little bit more time because it's not dealt with very like it, it's it's like one scene that moves on very quick. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I feel like this movie could have had more weight to it. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. And I mean, that that's that's a moment of creativity that I think is missing. I think, you know, some of the spells are kind of fun. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, you know, the, the one where you get sh- you know, shrunken down. I think we've seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think I've seen whole movies about that. Of course. And that to me was just like, eh, all right. I mean, obviously it's going to be, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the sort of uh, levity of the situation for, for now, but I kind of wanted more of that um, tension, I guess, between the brothers. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it's a, it's definitely a really good moment because yeah, you sort of have to sit with that and sit with their, with their awkwardness together. But yeah, it's kind of just brushed aside, brushed aside there. And I was disappointed that it didn't kind of go further with that. It sort of, it sort of becomes just like a, a, a regular journey road trip movie where they have a goal and that all these obstacles come their way and some are interesting and some are just kind of like brushed aside because of course, ah, magic. Save yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, that happened. It's a good thing we had that spell. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. No, it's 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 so curious because I, I mean I, I think that's that's the big takeaway from onward is while it is good and in moments really good, it, it could have been great with with a better story. I don't know how long the story had been knocking around. Anytime you get a few writers on one story, I usually think it's a couple ideas that are grafted together. So you know, these could have like this story could have started out as, like I said, brothers who are fish or brothers who are bears. And somebody else at Disney had a story about the magical world that no longer uses magic and they just fused the two together, you know, and and, and these yeah. kinds of sacrifices, the kinds of sacrifices that we had to have, you know, we can't can't explore the brotherly relationship because now we got to we you know, we got to use that spell. Yeah. Yeah. And they could have, they could have done a lot more with it. And I think ultimately, you know, once we get to the ending, it there is a payoff, certainly with their relationship that I think definitely works. Um, but I mean, I, I, I feel like it's rushed a little bit and, you know, some of the action sequences are just there. Um, but again, like, you know, there's just this purity and magic of what Pixar brings to the table, mostly on a story level. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's like the, I feel like they know what they're doing and maybe it has hit a formula, but the formula works, you know, <laughs> that I'm willing to forgive it. It's like, 
like there are some people who get sucked into sitcoms or there's certain people who get sucked into soap operas because they follow a formula and it works. And for me, I'm like, I'm up for the Pixar formula, even when, you know, it's not entirely 100% original or successful in other ways. I mean, it is this movie is metaphor palooza, everything from (laughs) take the harder route to use every spell you have, you know, like, like it's it's it really is not subtle in that in that kind of uh, approach to what it's doing. However, I do like that they're getting better at addressing the anxieties of teenage years and, you know, especially the anxieties of. Uh, children who grow up in in non-traditional families and non-traditional households who maybe have some trauma in their past you know mm-hmm. it's it's not beaten to death in the in the character of Ian um, I, I should say by the way his name his official name is Iandor uh, just to just to really drive home that uh, that that mystical element but you know Ian is a kid who's been raised mostly by a single mom there's a guy who kind of seems to be stepping in to be the 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 stepdad now um but it's it's been a a a family dynamic of three um he's not really popular or all that comfortable at school and he's you know just he's trying to get a grip on everything um you know so so using that as a, as a character and, and exploring the anxieties that every teenager feels. Um, I, I, I do think that that is a nice touch that, you know, that you're showing this, this film of course is aimed at kids that you're showing kids what they might be feeling in the very near future and how it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not abnormal. It's the kind of thing that a lot of other kids will feel, even if they're just kind of better at hiding it. No, that's a great point. And actually, you're making me wonder, what if there was a Pixar remake of Pump Up the Volume? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like they're capturing that 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 feeling at that age pretty well here, including, you know, just that 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 moment where he's trying to invite people to come to his his birthday party. And, you know, certainly if you haven't established a social clique, that could be really challenging and really intimidating. And ultimately, it doesn't. Uh, garner results but you know certainly like you know him playing the cassette of his dad talking is something that i'm just like oh yeah that's (laughs) you know when i've had nights alone or something sometimes that's kind of my go-to is something comforting something familiar something that i you know i'm not up for the challenge of establishing new social uh, connections, but like these old ones are there and they feel good to, to have and to go back to. Um, and I think that's kind of what the film is saying in general is like, um, you know, magic is a cool thing <laughs> and we should look for it in, in other ways. And maybe, you know, the magic could be a metaphor for creativity and being a creative person is really something that you should hold on to instead of always just, you know, streaming something on Netflix or looking at your phone and playing a game. You yeah. know, I think, I like that idea, but it's it's kind of buried in the midst of the actual story and the adventure they go on. It is. It is. I mean, even like right down to the fact that the kids around him, they, they, they're actually quite open and accepting. And, and you know, like yeah. when, he, when he goes over to them, like wanting to hang out, the only thing that's stopping them is himself. And that's not really explored, even though it certainly could be. It's all right there. Like the pieces are all on the board. 
I don't know that Onward put them together in the right way. Yeah. So no, I agree. With, I agree with that. And then yet at the same time, we get to something very um, special. I think we do, as, as I ex- come to expect. With yeah, exactly. Um, and we will talk about that in a minute. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the review section and then hit us hit you with a um, spoiler section. If you've seen the movie, you can keep going with that. Um, if not, you can skip ahead to the other side. So for now, though. Um, Jim Laskowski, we we end the reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. What would be your souvenir from onward if you could uh, take anything? <sighs> you know, as I want to say I would love to take that spell for obvious reasons um, that the father leaves behind. But I don't know if this is due to my love of Pete's dragon or how to train your dragon. Uh, but I, I was pretty much in hysterics whenever that cute little family pet dragon was on screen. Yeah. And as much as I would like the idea of having my own superpowers to bring back my dad for a day, if that was an option, of course I would take it. But I just also think it would be fun to have a pet dragon as long as he kept his fire breath under control. (laughs) So, uh. I'm giving. I'm. I'm, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this dragon into my apartment and see what happens from this movie. See, see what happens when it plays with the cat. I mean, like yes, that, exactly. Yeah, that dragon is super cute. But yet again, it's yeah. one of those other things that they establish and then move away from far too quick. Because yeah, there's an adventure the to go on. Yeah, you know, and it. it but it, I did. I did like the fact that the dragons are the pets in this in this society um for for better exploration of that go watch how to train your dragon um my souvenir though i want that man i you know i i i i try to you know i try to drive a compact car and i try not to be environmentally conscious but man that van just seems so cool everything from the facts that the 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 the, um the turn signal doesn't work to you've got an O instead of D for onward, uh, you know, to, to the, the cassette that's inside and plays all of that, you know, kind of uh, very, very mystical rock things that makes uh, Led Zeppelin seem subdued to, to the paint job, the paint job on the side. Um, I, I would love to just drive around town in Guinevere for a day and go on quests. That makes complete sense. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we rate here on matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jim Laskowski, what do you give onward on a scale of one to four? A relatively solid three stars. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the same. Uh, um, it's, it's like it's a soft three for me. It's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they but uh, like uh, like I've said, Pixar is capable of so much more. This story is capable of so much more. And if it wasn't for some really, really great tricks that it pulls along the way. This movie would be much, much less rewarding, but it does manage to pull some great tricks. Hey, man, maybe you think that we're crazy. Maybe you think that this is a masterpiece or maybe you think we're being too kind to it and that it's actually just a hot garbage. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What did you think of Onward, including its conclusion, which we will talk about right now? Okay, so you've had all your warnings. It's time to get spoilerific about Onward. And 
uh, we probably should not have been surprised that this film was going to end with just an emotional mauling when they get to the stage of being able to bring back the father. So first of all, where I was saying before how how Pixar was having trouble sticking every one of its story ideas when it comes time to, you know, get to the apex that we've been building to for like two hours. This is where and, and you know, and I, I called it metaphor palooza. This is where all of those all of those metaphors are really quite affecting, because first of all, in order to to be able to move forward with loss and grief first things first it takes all of you um and, mm-hmm. and, and that and that in onward is key that it takes um all of ian and barley and laurel to get there um i thought that for a starting point was just gorgeous absolutely and at, at this point I'm just going to call it the uh, the token um, remember me moment in any Pixar film because when once that grandmother and Coco start singing remember me, I'm like, oh, God, I'm gone. That's it. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. Niagara Falls. Yeah. And so there's always some – I'm just like, okay, you know, Pixar, you're going to do it. I mean obviously I knew it early on because – you know, I've lost a father. Any, I think anybody who's lost a parent or any family member is going to get something out of this experience or, you know, at least feel something and also identify with just what, what these two brothers want to accomplish. It, it makes sense if you had that magical power. Of course you would want to use it. Of course you'd want to figure out how to make, um, you know, your family member something other than a pair of pants. Uh, <laughs> and you know, for me, I was like, "Uh oh!" When they're like dragging, dragging the dad along as like this little dummy, I was kind of like, "Oh God, please don't let this turn into Weekend at Bernie's." <laughs> you know, like the, the, them going on misadventures and stuff. And there's some silly moments like that, but I, th- I think they still worked on me. You know, the, the the comedic elements early on, but at, towards the end, I just kind of went, "Okay, what are you going to do here?" And it, and again, it's it definitely surprised me because. I'm expecting to see the father up close. I'm expecting to hear his voice, and we don't get that. We get we get it from from Ian's point of view. We get it we get it from you know the younger brother looking out, you know. And I thought that was an interesting touch. That part of me was like, mm, I don't know. Part of me would have loved it if it had been up close, you know. Part of me would have loved to have seen the older brother hugging the father up close and hearing what they're saying together. You know, part of me wanted that. Well, and therein lies the brilliance of it is Pixar and and the people who wrote this realize that anybody who is dealing with grief, part of you will want fill in the blank. But, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's the whole point is that you can't you, you, you certainly can't get all of it. You may never even get some of it. So the fact that you were even given anything any spiritual reprieve is a gift and you know and and that is that is the thing that ian understands um you know and that he doesn't that he doesn't push he's like you know if one of us is going to do this it's got to be you like you have a running memory of who this person is and 
you 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 are going to need this closure more than I will. Um, so the fact that he's the one who basically pushes Barley to the center and says, go there. Otherwise, this has all been for nothing um, is incredible in that in that sacrificial kind of way. Yeah, no, it's definitely incredible. I, I, again, a genuine surprise because I guess part of me, you know, was expecting to you know hear the father up close and expecting to see the hug up close. But it also was incredibly effective from a distance for for, for the reasons that you're saying. And certainly, it, it's also a movie about um, you know family bonds and and just brothers learning to accept each other unconditionally. You know, like the moment that I think also works really well and has worked for a lot of people, too, in addition to what we talked about is just the, the moment where he's going over his checklist. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you're going to have the little flashbacks and, of course, you're going to have the little montage. And, again, you kind of expect that as just like, oh, we're kind of spelling this out to you. But, again, I still think it works because it, it, it's working for, for Ian. It's it, He's having his own emotional connection as the same time that we are with oh yeah they're actually you know they're really they have a great relationship and it should be just as cherished as you know the one that uh, you, you don't get to completely experience like the fact that you have this brother in your life and he's been there all along that's something to you know really really appreciate and i think he does and, and i mean it's 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 a few things all at once. On the one hand, um, you know, I, I do now that I think about it, I really have to tip my hat to Onward for doing it this way because to put both Ian and Barley in front of their dad, um, you know, it, it just for just for even just for a few moments, like that's Field of Dreams. We we have that we have that story. You know what I'm saying? To, oh sure. You know, we it, to do something different takes takes some real balls. Along with the, the the realization that, you know, growth takes understanding and it takes being able to recognize different things in different places. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be stuck. Like, you know, Ian is never going to be able to mature and he's never going to be able to ask those kids to hang out with them if he's always just stuck in this one place. So he has to recognize these things that he does dearly want they they exist in his life just not in the way that he expects and that's the thing yeah. is that if if he was mired and stuck in in getting what he wanted the way that he expected to get it he's never going to grow he is always going to feel that void of his father but it's it's not a big gaping hole that will never be filled by other things if he lets them um back by the way to metaphor palooza is <laughs> the one splinter of the staff that he is able to use to recreate the spell at the last moment. Again, one of those really beautiful touches that it's, it's a little bit ham handed, but I went with it that if even a part of you still exists, that has, you know, the strength to do what you need to do, then you can do it. You know, that yeah. it's, 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 Again, it's just the thing. It's like, you know what? You may not have the amount of power that you once had if you go through great trauma in life, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to find shards of it if you look close enough and that those shards aren't going to be incredibly powerful in helping you move forward. That's a great point. And, and it's, it's similar to how I felt with something like Inside Out when I thought, 
you know, this this movie, you show it to younger kids, they're really going to, you know, um, whether, if, whether if they're realizing it or not, it could be working on a subconscious level, it's going to teach them about emotions in a way that I think is healthy and important and something that they're going to take with them down the road, possibly for the rest of their lives. Um, and again, going back to Pump of the Volume, that happened to me with that movie, where it's, I took a lot from that movie that I still carry with me. And I think that can happen with something like Onward. It can happen, you know, any, any child can watch a movie and have their own subjective interpretation and experience and have a completely, you know, less jaded experience yeah. or, you know, kind of go, they don't have, they don't have to compare it to other Pixar movies. They're just going to experience this pure. And that's kind of how I try to look at it. Like, you know, I try to walk in with an open mind, but at the same time I go, well, I didn't cry as hard or, you know, <laughs> I didn't like, you know, have this incredible sense of awe and wonder like I did when I saw Wally or something. And that's, that's normal that, you know, that's kind of what makes us cinephiles where we do, the, we do the comparison game, but at the same time, it, it feel it felt completely satisfying towards the end to where like okay I can forgive some of the imperfections and flaws throughout that are sprinkled here and there only because that that part worked so so strongly and you know certainly you you watch these characters grow and you feel a sense of closure by the end um, and, and it's just a joy to see that you know that these two brothers are going to have an even better relationship down the road. Yeah, I mean, what's the old line? If you wow them in the third act, they'll forgive everything else. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's that yes. it's, it's it's that kind of thing, right? Is is onward moves to a conclusion that is unbelievably satisfying and, like Jim said, really powerful. If you have any kind of grief going on in your life, either what be it. Um, God help you if it's raw, but uh, whether it's raw or whether it's something that's that's scarred over, um, this is gonna this is gonna go straight for it. And you you know if you're watching this movie in 3D, the good thing is that you know glasses hide the tears pretty nicely. Um, but it's a it's a it's a weird road to get there, you know. Onward and loving its metaphors, it doesn't take the difficult route to get there. It takes the weird road. And yes, that, a little bumpy. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And that's I mean, that's that's the curiosity at the end of the day is if we're going to if we're going to eventually arrive at the remember me moment at Andy giving up his toys at, uh, you know, at, at Riley uh, expressing her depression to her parents come with me children while i spoil every pixar movie ever um <laughs> but if we're gonna get to that emotional huge hard hitting payoff it can't be at the expense of everything that comes before and onward plays so fast and loose with everything before uh aside from that one moment where Ian confesses to to two officers that he kind of thinks Barley is a screw up. Aside from that, everything else is really just very surface and 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 not all that imaginative because it knows right. it has this last play in the playbook that will seemingly forgive all. Uh, you know, okay, you got you got away with it, but don't 
keep running the, your plays this way. Otherwise, <laughs> people are going to tune out real quick. They're just going to be like, just get me to the get me to the point where I cry and and I'll just call it a day. There we go. That's onward. Um, it's a movie I think we both think that you should see. Just dial down your expectations. Obviously, if you've come this far, you've probably seen it, or now you know what you're getting in for. Um, feedback is always welcome. Whether you loved it, whether you hated it, whether you thought it could be something better. Um, what did you think of Onward? Um, but that is uh, plenty of what we thought of Onward. We are going to move on right after this. Uh, flip the record over, play the other side, come on back. Don't touch your face. Trying not to. <laughs> it's the other side. Jim Leskowski, Ryan McNeil. We've been talking about Onward. Uh, this is the part of the show where we move on and talk about other films, other projects, other things that one could go on to after watching the latest uh, Pixar film. Jim, uh, where did you? Where did your brain go after this movie? There's a lot of places that this movie probably could take one to, but where did you uh, find yourself landing after this latest Pixar opus? Well, it's funny because I, I think this might be a little predictable. And certainly the, the two titles that sprung to mind a little bit shortly thereafter, they fall into the classics category, but um, th- neither of them make me cry. They just make me feel complete and utter joy. So the first one I came up with, it's uh, one of my favorites from childhood without question, and that is the Muppet movie. Oh, uh, I had not thought of that. I was trying to think of a, a family-friendly movie, more or less, in which like two characters go on some kind of road trip adventure. And obviously you have another memorable Guinevere with uh, Fozzie's Studebaker. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, they're, they're on a quest, more or less, to find something fulfilling in their lives, a career in the arts, more or less. That's kind of what they're all heading towards. Uh, and they find... You know, something a little different or unexpected along the way. Uh, and instead of finding that magical gemstone, they come across uh, Orson Welles <laughs> that that magically gives them a film deal at the end. It's just like they all show up and he's like, you know what, just draw up a contract for these for these characters here. Let's see what they could do. <laughs> uh, and this is, you know, it's more of a musical, uh, but it's one of the better examples of one where the songs stay with you forever. You know, and, it's, and a lot of that is is due to Paul Williams, who pretty much composed everything. And, you know, he's just a genius. And to me, this movie um, still holds up. It's so much fun. You can watch it at any age. And I realize that Kermit and Fozzie aren't necessarily brothers, but they might as well be. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's funny you bring that up and, and phrase it that way, because one of the lyrics that I've always loved in this movie, um, and of course this is the movie that brought us Rainbow Connection, um, you know, one of the greatest movie songs ever, 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 ever. But um, mm-hmm. th- there's a song about two-thirds of the way through this movie that Gonzo gets to sing called I'm Going to Go Back There Someday. And it includes one of the most beautiful lyrics I've ever heard in my life, which is they don't have a word yet for best friends who've just met. And Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And and like hearing Gonzo sing that in his raspy little Gonzo way and thinking about it and the way that these people come together and the way that 
sometimes if we're lucky, we get that in life, right? Like that, that we get thrown into a situation where we connect with somebody on a profound level and how kind of like, uh, you know, um, parents who have lost a child, there's no word for it. Um, it's, it's just, it's something that you feel and can, you know, can believe to be true, but cannot articulate because it just not, does, does not have, have words to it in that very Muppet way. You know, it, 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 it kind of represents, um, the best of what life can be in its most absurd and messiest and sometimes most catastrophic, but ultimately greatest. And yeah, like, I mean, that is, that is an example of a movie that is not at all complicated, but yet at every turn has great world building and has, you know, just beautiful relationships that spring up as it goes along. 100% Hundred percent right, and not not to mention the incredible cameos and oh, man. the 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 pitch perfect sense of humor to this day that makes me laugh. I mean, this was at a time when my sense of humor was developing, and I was all about Steve Martin, you know, and him showing up as the waiter was just like comic gold in very short shorts too. Um, watch yes. that, watch that movie soon and pay attention to how short his shorts are. Um, the thing I always love about Muppet movies too is. As you get older, they get funnier because there's a lot of jokes that don't make any sense when you're a kid that when you mm-hmm. get older, they're a lot funny. Um, so good call for a starter. Well, mine is is also uh, a rather obvious choice, um, but uh, it was the first thing that sprung to mind for several reasons. Um, I went back to 1989 to what we thought was the conclusion of a trilogy at the time, and now we're not at all correct. But I went back to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's another movie of fathers and sons. I was really thinking of it in terms of the treasure map and the obstacles and what they have to do. There's a point in Onward mm. where they got to start kind of putting clues together and there's water traps and there's, you know, booby traps and there's all kinds of other like, you know, medieval obstacles in their way that really brought to mind you know, Indiana Jones and Henry Jones Sr. trying to make their way down the Pilgrim's Trail to find the uh, the Holy Grail. And it's, you know, I, I, I know a lot of my friends who call that a perfect movie and who believe that the real tragedy of uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was that it took something that was perfect and now added on more things that did not need to be there because they of course literally ride off into the sunset at the end of the movie um you know it's it's i i gotta believe that anybody who's listening to this show has probably seen that movie by now um if not uh you know it, it does make a great little um double feature with onward because again it's a it's a movie about fathers and sons and about trying to reconcile differences and get some things you want, but not everything you want. And it, it's all baked into a very nice little Steven Spielberg, George Lucas package. Yeah, I'm kind of mad, too, because it, it says in the title Last Crusade, mm. it could be the last movie and it's perfect ending. And it's mm. so satisfying in so many ways. And to me, like that's a, I really like all three of those movies, the first three. You know, I really do. And not, not a lot of people like Temple of Doom because it's so dark and twisted, but I kind of 
I don't know. I think that's one of those early examples of me being really creeped out and freaked out by a movie when I was young. Uh, and it, it, to me, it holds up. <laughs> it's it's funny. I've I've gone. I'm not going to spend too long on this because you can you can find what I think about these movies elsewhere. Um, but I, I've I've come to the conclusion that the Indiana Jones saga, as it stands, because now they want to add a fifth one that. James Mangold is going to direct, apparently. Um, but the Indiana Jones saga is two perfect movies and two movies that are pretty good. And, sure. you, you know, and that and that's that, that there is no just there's nothing in there that's absolutely awful uh, the way that we would like it to be. Um, and that the movie, one of those movies that we seem to remember being really perfect is really not so perfect, but it's not bad. And neither is that last one. So, but Indiana Jones and the last crusade for the way that it deals with these set pieces and the way that it deals with the father son relationship, I think is my, uh, first other side. What else did you come up with as a, as a go-to after onward? Well, the other title that kind of came to mind because, again, it involves kind of a wacky quest. But this is one lone soul on a quest to find his beloved bicycle. <laughs> and uh, to me, it's one of the funniest road trip movies of all time. And that would be Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, there's just there are no words that could describe uh, my love of this. You know, it's 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 very episodic, but it's. But you're on this journey and you want to see him get to, you know, where, where he wants to be. And obviously we've had an attachment to a personal item, you know, whether it be a car or a bike or a blanket or a stuffed animal, you know. Uh, and, and like the idea of going through life without this item is unbearable, so especially when you're a kid. I think you're really attached to certain things in your room. So you understand the plight of Pee Wee and like how he has to get this bike no matter what, no matter if he has to go across the country. Uh, and it's one of those journeys, the destination kind of movies, because he does get his bike back in the end. But it's more about, uh, you know, being selfless and making these good friendships and connections along the way. And that's what I think makes it very special. OK, you know, it's it's actually not a movie that I'm that familiar with i i, I specifically i'm, I'm surprised not, i'm actually i don't even know if i've ever seen it all the way to the end wow yeah, yeah I, it's, I think it's, i'm gonna have to remedy that i mean i've seen you should i've seen most of the major beats like i've seen the alamo and i've seen large marge and i've seen him dancing to the tequila um i've you know I, i've seen all sorts of moments plus i i think i've I've seen a lot of the other ones in passing, so I might have like fused it together in my brain, but I've never actually like sat and watched it from end to end. Well, it only gets better as it goes along. Okay. And it was also co written by the late great Phil Hartman. Was it know? really? And Holy he, shit. Yeah, and he didn't write a whole lot either. No. No, which which is a shame because I imagine he'd probably be a really good writer. Oh yeah, for sure. Hmm. Okay. Well 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 done. I mean I, I kind of want to go back to a time where Tim Burton was telling good movies. Okay, so my other uh, other side selection, um, I, I, I know two episodes ago I did a bit of a cheat and I, I actually suggested a song. Uh, this time I'm going to cheat again. I'm going to recommend a comic book. Um, one of my favorite current comic series going on is a series in Image called Die, D-I-E, as in like a singular dice. Um, and it is... Hmm. Uh, written by Kieran Gillen, 
who writes another incredible series that wrapped up last year called The Wicked and the Divine. Um, it's also it's it's um, drawn by Stephanie Hans, who also worked on Wicked and Divine with him. And it's all about this group of 40 something adults who have to go back to uh, a game and basically um replay it in the in the search to get some answers it's been kind of called goth jumanji um in in a, hmm. in, in a way but when when it came to the whole mysticism of onward and the way that um you know um the way that barley is is completely obsessed with these creations that used to kind of be real, but are not any more real. Um, and, and how you can, you can strategize your way through all these different things. It, it made me think of the entire approach in nature and storytelling of D and D. Now I have never played any of those games. That is uh, my running joke is the D and D nerds were the nerds that nerds like me picked on when I was younger. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, I, I have nothing against them. I don't I just don't get it. It's 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 not my thing. It's never been my thing. But um, reading die as a as a story and reading how a lot of these adults are confronting things that happened when they were kids and where that left them and where that led them and, you know, kind of trying to work through it while they're in the middle of this really bonkers and yet really beautiful game that they've basically been sucked into a la jumanji it's been a really beautiful series to work its way through and you know kind of heavy sometimes but also really exciting um if you're if you're the kind of person who comes to a comic book for the art the artwork in this is just gorgeous the character creation is gorgeous um excuse me karen gillen um between this and mm. wicked and divine has turned into one of my favorite comic uh storytellers so if you you know if you're feeling like something a little bit more grown up after onward die might be a series worth picking up wow yeah i'm definitely have to look into this there's uh, most recently especially after working at the library and working um with with like the uh, teen section where they have tons of graphic novels I, i there's been quite a few that have been catching my eye that i just have to sit down and make time for but this one sounds really interesting to me yeah I, you know, it, it's crazy because the one thing I'm actually really appreciative of is that libraries do stock graphic novels. Um, either mm -hmm. if your if your library uses OverDrive or if it uses, um, there's another one called, is it Hoopla? Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of content that you can find in those platforms. That even if your library system doesn't stock comics and graphic novels, you can find the e copies in um, OverDrive and Hoopla. And the good thing about that is, like, I'm I'm not gonna lie, comic collecting is not cheap. You know, it's it's it. it, it don't get me wrong, the money all goes to good places because these artists you know they deserve to make a living but it, it's the kind of thing that adds up really really quick whether you buy these copies physically or you buy them digitally um so libraries understanding that there is a cultural and educational value in stocking comics whether they're physical or digital really helps take the sting out of you know, digging into the art form so that somebody is able to pick up, you know, book one of Die that collects the first six episodes, uh, first six issues, 
and and get into it without necessarily having to drop 20 bucks yeah that's a, that's a huge perk in the, from the library for for a lot of reasons and you know certainly uh you know if you if you can't even during the criterion sale you can still go to the library and they they my library at least stocks quite a few titles yep. from that collection so i'm i'm grateful for that and certainly nowadays too you have streaming platforms and and libraries um has have one in particular called canopy that's that's and a really can, good one too yeah, you can get a lot of rare stuff and yeah. some interesting documentaries through that service too. Yeah, I'll definitely check this out. It's again like graphic novels are something I, w- I wouldn't mind dipping back into because I went through a phase and it just sort of petered out a little bit as as it happens. And you know, kind of my last thought on libraries, I always tell people your tax dollars are paying for them, so you may as well use it. Exactly. You know, <laughs> um, and it keeps me busy. Please come. <laughs> yes, please, please go and visit Jim. Tell him Ryan sent you. So that is episode 243 of the Matinee Cast. I'd like to thank Jim Laskowski for dropping by. Come on back on March 23rd for episode 244. We're going to talk about A Quiet Place 2, people. Jim. Ooh. Yeah. Jim is on. Um, Jim is is the as I said earlier the uh, the the head honcho the grand poobah the head cheese not to be mistaken with a cheese head that's a very different thing around where Jim lives um, <laughs> at Voices and Visions. Um, what can people look forward to? What, what's coming up this week? Well, uh, for the most part, I I'm, I'm now back hosting Directors Club, and that's kind of a big deal because there's. It's been like three years and maybe 50 episodes where I just had two other friends of mine uh, that live locally take over Directors Club because Patrick and I were like, we're too overwhelmed. This is too much work. I don't think we can keep doing it. But I I love the concept and I wanted the show to keep going. And then suddenly the the two friends are like, guess what? We don't want to do it anymore. So you're like, well, I guess we're back. Uh, we're back, uh, and it's exciting. We're going to try our best to keep this a monthly podcast, and oddly enough, our next director we're recording tomorrow, and it's a Canadian filmmaker named Guy Madden. Oh, my. Who, uh, yeah, binging on him has been kind of an interesting experience. Oh, I, I, I hope you hydrate. I, I, I am. <laughs> I, I've had very strange dreams as a result. I don't uh, doubt but, it. Yeah, people can check out directorsclubpodcast.com or, of course, the Now Playing Network where I help out a bunch of friendly podcasting friends uh, that mainly talk about pop culture. There's a bunch of great shows and content there, so go check that out too. There will be links in the show notes, of course. Um, and what about on the site? What's anything getting written and published this week? I'm going to be writing an interesting review of a very interesting psychological horror film called Swallow that definitely touches upon mental illness and also a very rare uh, disorder called pica, which not a lot of people know about, but holy crap, this movie covers it in a very interesting way. <laughs> okay, color me curious. So yes, know, uh, indeed. people should go check that out for sure. And uh, and again, my deep appreciation to Jim for stopping by. My site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, uh, anywhere you find podcasts on there. If I'm not, please let me know and I will make an effort to put my show onto whatever podcatcher or platform you use. Um, and then you can get alerts when new episodes drop and listen. Feedback on Onward or any of the other uh, content we talked about today can be left uh, by 
in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Laskowski? Oh, once again, uh, it's pure joy to be here, and I look forward to returning in the future. Thanks for having me on. The joy is mine, sir. Thank you again for dropping by. For James, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.